Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for A Short History of Decay. Hi. Look at you. Come on in. Sure, you just got here? Yep. When I met you, you were working on a novel, and before that, a screenplay. Yeah. It's been five years, and I've been very patient. How's your book? Yeah, I haven't really had time to work on that. Your mom's been telling me that your girlfriend's book is coming out next month. A lot of our friends are writers. I'm breaking up with you. Therefore, I'm free to do whatever I want. Can you just wait for things to get better? Nathan, your dad had a stroke. Your mom's got Alzheimer's. It doesn't get any better. Mom, I don't think you're supposed to microwave plastic. Why not? Uh, cancer, maybe? We don't worry about cancer at our age. I need somebody here. Well, what else do you have to do, right? What made me love your mother is the way she talks about her kids. I asked Dad if I could borrow some money. Dad started yelling. Mom started yelling that I was upsetting Dad. What's happened while I was in the shower? Go! Stop it! Stop it! I'm gonna need more and more help. He's so scared. He doesn't want you to know. My mom and dad were happy because of you. Well, you haven't made any major commitments, so you haven't made any big mistakes. If you think I don't want to hear it, why are you writing about it? Mom? Hi, honey. You're a long way from home. I am. Look, she's a famous writer. She published an album. Anything. You know what? Look around the F train during rush hour. I bet you there's a ton of people cramped in that car, and five of them have published books. They're just as uncomfortable and irritated as everybody else. Hello, you still there? If you ask me out, I'm gonna say yes. Can you just do me a favor and take a moment and just, just think about it, okay? Good night, boys. Good night, Mom. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from New York Magazine and NPR's Fresh Air, David Edelstein, and tonight's guests, Michael Marin, Brian Greenberg, and Linda Lavin. Hello. 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 Thank you so much for coming. I want to, um, I love this film. I saw it, I think, before anybody, right? <laughs> before it had a distributor, before it was even finished. And uh, I knew it was really special. And so I'm very honored to be here today. Uh, let me let me start by asking you, Michael. You're a um, you're a journalist who spent uh, years in sub-Saharan Africa. You wrote a great book about uh, the failure of aid agencies, uh, the UN, and so forth, to actually get the aid to the people because of corruption and all sorts of difficulties. And yet, when it came time to write your first film, you wrote it about a slacker about a guy who, well, he's a fuck up basically. He can't, he can't, he, you know, he can't write a book, he can't write a, a play, he can't write a screenplay. And I'm curious, was that, was that a sort of earlier incarnation of you or, or was that, is that sort of pre-epiphany or is that just something that you wanted to do for your first film, exploring your first film? Well, you know, I think it's what a lot of writers feel inside all the time anyway. You know, you can be successful, you can be publishing, you can be uh, really writing really good stuff, but at, at some level, you feel like you're, you're a fake. Um, and like many writers, I, I, yes, I, at a certain point in my career, I think early on in my 20s, 
I was I was struggling and and you know I tried to option some books to make uh, screenplays out of them and uh, I wrote for the Village Voice which was um, not exactly strenuous but but a lot of fun <laughs> and um, had um, uh, a really sort of yeah I mean, I mean it's rough it's rough surviving as, as as a writer in New York City and so I took that and I put it in I put all of those sort of traits into an, another character uh, but you know when I was in Africa all those years uh, I never wrote about myself or wrote anything personal I always felt that writing about something personal uh, was irrelevant in the in in the face of all of the suffering and, and pain I was seeing in other people and I had a kind of visceral dislike of journalists who would you know go to Rwanda when when 800,000 people are were being slaughtered and write about how much danger I was in uh, so when it came time to finally write write a film that I knew I was going to direct uh, I went. I went to the personal. I, I I dug into something that I had never ever explored in writing before. And so, was was that a fair representation of you before you sort of found yourself as a journalist? Um, you know, I think it's a representation of me that kind of rears its ugly head every once in a while. And and Brian, of course, has to play the ugly head, uh, <laughs> and you have to play a character who is. Uh, extraordinarily and and at first irritatingly passive in the face of his life falling apart uh, in the in the face of uh, existential decay and I'm wondering how you um, how you sort of went about finding uh, I guess you would say the dramatic arc of the character yeah it, that is one of the challenges of doing a movie that is such a slice-of-life film and it's so subtle and so real. You know, Michael and I, we, we spoke about this. In, in, in life sometimes, these huge changes don't just happen in one moment. You know, they're gradual. They, they're, they decay, you know. And this is, this is um, a story about Nathan, from Nathan's perspective, of how he starts to lose the expectations of what his life should be and realize what it is. And it's not the change, it's the moment before the change. And a lot of that is seeing that, that change of when we all experience this, unfortunately we don't live forever and our parents don't live forever. And there's a certain point where the kids become the caretakers. And you're never ready for that moment. And this is an examination of that turn. And of course, your your mother, who has um, in the early stages of Alzheimer's, is played by the great Linda Lavin, who is um, who is uh, by the way opening very shortly in a new play by the great Nikki Silver, having triumphed, uh, I guess, two years ago or last year, really. Boy, it's two years ago in the Lions. Um, and I think before we talk about your character, it would be really good to show a scene um, of you and Brian so we can sort of orient people as to what's going on. And do we have the clip ready? Okay. I'm gonna turn the heat up. I'm cold. Aren't you cold, honey? No, it's hot in here, Mom. I don't know, honey. Parents are getting old. Yeah, I was afraid that was gonna happen. 
What? I think when we get back home this April, we have to look into Elmwood. Have we talked about that to you? That's a... Uh... Assisted living community. Okay. Your father doesn't want to do it. You know him. He hates old people. Shuts me up every time I mention it. But I'm going to need more and more help, and I don't want to burden him with it. I'll, uh, I'll look into it, Mom. It's very nice. He's scared. He's so scared. He doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want to show it. He panics every time I leave the room for five minutes. He loves you, Mom. Yeah. He loves me. Okay. Good night, sweetheart. Good night. Good night. You know, when I, I, I looked back on the, the email that I sent you after I first saw the film, and I said what was the most striking thing in the movie was that you played that character with a woman who's losing her memory with a sort of shocking amount of lucidity. There are moments where you, it seems like you are more lucid than any human being I've ever met and then other times when that goes away. And yet there, the, the, the interplay, the sort of, almost the dance of consciousness, of memory that, that you perform in this film, and so subtly, I mean, it's not, you can see it's not telegraphed, is so exquisite. And I'm, I'm wondering how, how you went about sort of finding those beats. I mean, I know they're in the script, but as, an, as a performer, how did you find those beats? I, I thank you for that, and thank you for showing this scene. It's my favorite scene in the movie. I was speaking about it today in describing the relationship um, between this, these two people, the mother and the son, in describing what I understood of the disease. I don't know how I did it, but I do know that it's in the script, and it's with this actor. So you give us a good script, and you give us a good actor to work with, and there it is. I mean, I look at this and I think, well, what else could that scene have been with this young man who is as troubled and sensitive as, as Brian gave all those qualities to that character? And that was a moment for me to be the courageous one, for me to love him, uh, to understand me. It was a moment of of strength and vulnerability at the same time. But it's not something that, um, that I had to, um, to work that hard on. I didn't have to do any research on this. I had Michael, and Michael said one thing to me early on in this filming. He said, it's especially poignant for her to be aware that she is losing her memory rather than someone who is further along, as most films describe Alzheimer's, with someone who's gone. She's not gone, she's here. And I love what you said about the lucidity. That for me was very personal. That for me is me, Linda, holding on to, look, I'm still in a play now, I don't know all the lines were in previews. You know, the fear of losing memory, the moment of losing memory, of being on stage in a live performance and going, what the hell is next? 
it, it happens. And it doesn't happen just with age. It's all been all my life with memory. But what about the, f the fear that this could happen? So I just go into my imagination, and I have a man who is experiencing this personally, who understands and gives me some tips about it, and then gives a script that is uh, more than a blueprint about the life of this woman and then gives me this actor, and so we're off and Th running. There's an ever so slight feeling of um, somebody sending a message in a bottle, like here I am, I'm, I'm all here now, I'm giving this to you, I may not be here soon, but this is, I wanna capture this moment. That's how pure and intense it is. Was that something that you experienced, I mean, is this autobiographical? Was that something you experienced in, in your relationship with your own parents? Yes, my, my mother does have Alzheimer's, and when I wrote the script, uh, I guess about when I started writing the script about three years ago now, uh, she was in the very, very early stages of it, and uh, she could she did a pretty good job of hiding it, and it was very important to her to to continue to sort of present as somebody who was fine, e even though. Uh, we all knew that, that she was starting to forget things and she was starting to confuse her grandchildren, which one was which. Uh, yet, yet she could hold on uh, to sort of emotional things. I think that, that was a key moment for me when, when I realized, although my mother wasn't remembering things, her emotional connection to the world, that part of her brain was working perfectly well. And that, that is really the moment when, when I actually took pen to paper and started writing this script. That, that was, you just had to sublimate that extreme anxiety that you were feeling at that moment? Try to nail down that moment? Yeah, because it was something I had never seen before. The, the idea that, you know, you could have this, this absolute emotional clarity. And, that, and that's what that scene is. That's a scene of, you know, Brian's character, Nathan, there's a lot of going on, and the first thing he does when his parents go to sleep is he turns on some old movie on the television, and he's going to get comfortable and, and kind of put it all behind him. And his mother comes out to, to turn up the heat, but then confronts him with it, confronts him with something that he's not at that moment quite, he's not ready to deal with. But she is, she is there emotionally, and she's worried about uh, the father, um, brilliantly played by Harris Eulin, and... Uh, and her emotional attachment to things is very real, even though she's losing track of what is, in fact, real uh, in, in the material world. I, I, I want to gesture to Harris Eulin next to you and say, um, as great as your rapport is with Brian, uh, first of all, I told you when I, when I wrote I thought it was his greatest performance, an extraordinary performance. Talk about, you know, in and out of consciousness. And, and still the sense of this giant, this sort of stunted giant, you know, trying to cope with his loss of power, his gradual erosion of power. Can you, and the incredibly pure love that comes through between you two. Can you talk about, about Harry? I'm sorry that I can't show you a clip. Um, you'll, when you see the movie, you'll know how vivid this relationship is. Well. In spite, not too many words. True, exactly. Well, that's the kind of actor he is. I think he's a, one of our greatest American actors. He's one of our greatest actors, and he's a good friend. We did uh, The Diary of Anne Frank together. We played Mr. and Mrs. Van Dan on Broadway in 1996. 
seven. And so that's when uh, a great friendship began and a, a, a rapport that's unspoken. And I so wanted him to play this part and we were so happy he was available because uh, when you have that closeness with somebody, another actor, y you don't have to work on it. It's there. Uh, I know he loves me. I love him. And I'm comfortable with him. So we feel like we've been married forever. And we felt like that in, 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 in The Diary of Anne Frank, you know. We played gin rummy on stage and bickered and fought. And we were looking for, you know, we were trying to survive. We were trying to live our lives out in a terrible time. We, we rehearsed for weeks in one room, a play about people hiding out during the Holocaust. I mean, is there a better, you know, grounding than, than that for getting close together? That adversity no, brought us close I together. Didn't, I didn't know that. That's so funny. I just, I know you've worked with Mike Nichols. I just read this <laughs> uh, autobiography by Lee Grant in which he says that, which I'd never thought of Lee Grant and, and I guess Peter Falk and the Prisoner of Second Avenue, they, they weren't close. And he had them lie down on a mattress in the dark for hours and just lie next to each other and talk. And, and out of that developed this amazing rapport. And it sounds like that on stage gives that intangible sense of something passing between you all the time, this current, this equilibrium that you've achieved with this man. Absolutely. And there's an intimacy, you know, that we know in this work that we do. I don't know that other people know it who work in banks and offices, although I'm sure there is closeness and there's sexual um, uh, attraction. But there's an intimacy that uh, when we do work together the way some of us work, where we get into each other and where we need to get close quickly, that, that um, bonds you. And um, Harris and I are bonded in a very special way. And so we were this married couple. We improvised. Michael let us improvise a, uh, that, that last scene where he invites me to go to bed. I remember saying, with you? And he says, <laughs> you know, there was that playfulness too. The playfulness about losing your memory and then actually losing your memory and then teasing somebody with the loss of your memory. There's a, and that's in the writing. That's in the humor. Someone said to me the other day, how can this movie be so so sweet and so humorous when it's so sad? And, and I thought, well, but that's life, isn't it? That's well, how we survive. Let's see another clip so we can see exactly what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Call the tow truck. They said about 20 minutes or so. What are we going to tell your father? It's a car, Mom. They break down, especially if you ignore loud noises for months at a time. I'm just going to call him and tell him. No, no, no. He's sleeping. I don't want to wake him up. I don't want you to call him. Yeah, but we're going to be an hour late. Maybe two. We have to call him. No. So, uh, your mom's been telling me that your girlfriend's book is coming out next month. Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah, not really. A lot of our friends are writers, so we just think of it as a job. He doesn't get excited. No, I, I get excited. Mom. Yeah, you don't get happy excited. You get anxious excited. I wonder where I get that from. <laughs> Uh, what's it about? It's a novel. Uh, yeah. It's about a psychiatrist who becomes convinced that her patient is really her daughter, who she was told was a stillborn two decades earlier. And is she? Yeah. 
and she's not. It's it's sort of metaphysical. Hmm. I'll lend you mine when I'm finished with it. I'm getting an autographed copy. <laughs> Do you know my other son? Yeah, we've gone over this, Mom. He works in Washington, D.C. He protects all those poor banks from those greedy taxpayers. <laughs> he does a lot more than that. No, that's pretty much what he does, Mom. He lives in a beautiful house in Maryland with his wife, Kathy, and two adorable daughters. Yeah, and he's been getting fat from eating all those wiener dogs at cocktail receptions <laughs> and parties. <laughs> he is looking a little unhealthy. I worry about him. I worry about you, too. What do you worry about me for? I worry about how you're going to make a living doing what you do. I mean, Erica's book could make a lot of money, but you can't count on that. No, you can't. Brian, I, I did you a disservice because I didn't set up your subtext in that scene. Do you want to? Do you want to fill everybody in? That was not what you saw on the surface. Was not exactly what was going on. Yeah, uh, my character is—he's uh, a writer, or he wants to be a writer. He thinks, um, but he's—I'm <clears throat> dating uh, another writer uh, played by Emmanuel Shariki, the beautiful, amazing, amazingly talented Emmanuel Shariki, and. She's highly ambitious, and we're in a very unhealthy relationship at the start of this film. And it begins with us breaking up, or her breaking up with me, and basically giving me the boot. And that is one of the main reasons I end up going down to Florida. So I haven't told my mother that we've broken up yet. So every time she mentions how great she is and how great her book will be, it's just like a, a knife in my heart. So <laughs> she just keeps digging it and digging it. So I'm just holding on. And then also the relationship with my brother, played by Ben King, um, who was a, was a great character actor, and he was, he's great in this movie as well. We had amazing chemistry, I thought. It was just so, so much fun to play with. But um, we have a very combative relationship as well, and it's not, I wouldn't say, I'd say it's real. And uh, in, in what Michael is so great at doing is... Um, uh, he doesn't sugarcoat things. So these the two brothers that uh, when they have heart to hearts, you know, it's not like oh I'm there for you. I'm I'm you know it's more like I, I give them shit back, you know, and that's that's the kind of relationship they have. It's very real and honest. Michael, I I spent years m not years myself, but it's almost a year not telling my mother after a particular girlfriend broke up with me because I didn't want to bear the weight of her grief along with my own. Um, did, is that uh, something, can I, can I presume that that was an issue with you and yours? Uh, no, you know that was that's never been an issue with me. That I um, confess that because I thought we were going to oh, bond, oh, and now I'm sorry. really <laughs> exposed now we something all know I David. never wanted. Would <laughs> um, you want to talk about that? No, <laughs> uh, no you know I I just like the idea that there's this this in, uh, total there's this lack of communication and closeness with him and his parents, and so he's in this relationship with this woman who he sort of idolizes, and he makes the assumption that his parents feel the same way. And uh, he finds out in, in, in a, I think, a fairly humorous moment in the film that um, they don't necessarily feel the same way. In fact, they, they, he finds that out a couple of times. So part, part of, of, of the process in the film is 
Um, yes, I liked. I thought it was funny that he kept getting needled about the girlfriend, and because his mother has Alzheimer's, she she kept forgetting that she was bringing up the girlfriend. <laughs> so she'd ask the same question about the girlfriend over and over and over again, and he's there like, just stop it already, please. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, you know, that w- that was put in there for purely for humor. <laughs> your your title, speaking of humor, comes from a book that I actually know and have, and have prized because. One of the aphorisms in it that I, I took, at one point I typed it and I put it up over my desk, was that people who are idle um, are far less likely to commit murder than people who are actually productive, productive citizens. That, in fact, idleness is a, a source of greater clarity and wisdom than, than work, which is something that um, my parents never told me, speaking of which, and, uh, and to this day our society doesn't tell you. But I wonder if, if you r- recall that quote. I know this is a, a special book to you, and what the, you know, what the, what the link is between the book and, and the title, which is, you know, some people might say it's pretentious, but, um, but also cast the film in maybe a different light than, uh, than a more uh, mundane title would. You know, I, I'm, first of all, I'm amazed at how few people recognize the title. Uh, it, once in a while, it, c- it comes up in a Q&A, once, once in a rare while when, when, when we show the film. Um, yeah, it's a book by E.M. Shoren, and... Who's a, a, a uh, wrote, Quebec uh, writer, correct? Uh, he's Romanian, and wrote it in French. Oh, okay. And, and, um, well, it, you know, French. But the, it's you know it's a book that I, I read when I was younger and I, I reread and it's it's sort of informed, the book informs I think the attitudes and feelings of the film more you know obviously it's not an adaptation it's a, it's a book of philosophy, and in my my reading of, of the book I always sort of described uh, uh, Shuren as a. Um, an optimistic nihilist, and so that there, there's a kind of, you know, he, in other words, in, in despair, he finds humor and joy throughout the book. And, and, and I, there, I know that quote from the book, and another one that uh, always, um, that, that I had in mind when I wrote it, and I actually almost put it on the screen once and didn't, which has, is something to the effect, I'm not quoting directly, but it's that uh, most people are more afraid of living than they are of dying. And, and I always I thought that was um, I thought that was profound, and it gave me a lot to think about in terms of writing this. And I have been there are people who have come up to me after screenings and said, "I love your movie, but you got to change that title." Um, and to my response has been, "Well, you know, give me a better one." How is that title? How does it directly? Aff- I I I know, but can you explain how the that aphorism that you just said uh, connects with the protagonist and whether or not you used that when you were directing or whether or not you just kept that to yourself um, I kept it to myself I, I, I didn't really talk about the book I used I used it you know in terms of my thinking about the characters uh, Nathan's character is a, is a character who is afraid of living when, when the film starts he's not doing anything he, he, he when the film opens he's literally stuck in a chair and you know the one time there's a there's a scene early on where he's he kind of says all right well I'm gonna go right and he takes his computer and he goes down to a cafe in Brooklyn and he literally can't find a seat in the cafe 
And, and you put your and Danny's friends, um, your wife's literary friends. I recognized what Kurt Anderson is there. and uh, Michael Cunningham is in there. Michael and Cunningham. Jennifer Egan, a bunch of people. You know what? The, oh, Jennifer Egan's in yeah, there? Yeah. Oh, a lot wow. of Pulitzer Prize winners. <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing about that, I, the, what I, the, in the script, the, scene, it, the way it's written is Nathan walks into the cafe and he, he looks at all these people who are writing in this Brooklyn cafe. It's, it's shot in part. All with apples, by the way. All with apples, completely coincidentally. Um, and he uh, looks at all these people, and they all appear to him to be writing the great American novel, which he finds very intimidating. And initially, of course, you would populate the cafe with, with extras who you would you know, get through an agency. And I, I really started thinking, how are we going to do that? How am I going to get you know, people who make a living as extras to go and appear like they're writing the great American novel? And I remember thinking, I know, let's, let's get real writers who have written the great American novel. And, and so there's a bunch of them, and we had a really good time. That was a lot of fun shooting that that day in Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, you had a question first. I heard you did acting job before. So which one was the hardest, uh, directing, writing, acting? Then, oh, yeah, yeah. Then, Brian, Brian, uh, my question is, I love Prime, your movie Prime. It, you were great in the movie. So how was working with uh, Umasama and Meryl Streep? Then who do you want to work with uh, like in your future? Thank you so much. I, I can answer that very quickly and very easily. First of all, I've never really acted. I, I, I do have a cameo in my own movie only because somebody didn't show up one day. Um, <laughs> Writing is the hardest thing in the world, and, and, and anybody who tells you different is, is, is crazy. There's nothing being alone in a room trying to get words on a page that makes sense uh, while you're driving yourself crazy is uh, the most difficult thing I've ever done, and I love doing it. Oh, um, well, the question was who? Oh, yes, working with Uma and Meryl Streep was amazing. Um, it was a while ago, but it was still amazing. Learned a lot from from Merrill, and um, yeah, I, mean, I want to work with all the greats. I mean, I got to work with uh, Linda and Harris on this one, and I learned so much just being in their presence. And I had so much fun on this project with you guys. We did. We had a lot of fun. I learned from him too. His ease and his comfort—it's a wonderful thing to watch. Yeah, it's a darling. Hi, how are you guys? Um, I actually got to see the film. I enjoyed it. Uh, you guys had great chemistry, definitely. I have a question. I'm not sure if it's fair to ask um, for the director, Mr. Marin. If you could explain the beach scene when he's running past the painting and he starts to visit daily. The, the beach scene. Well, it, um, it's hard to explain to people who haven't seen it. You know, um, I'll be very honest with you. That, that scene was supposed to be bigger than it was, and it was written for an actor who ended up not being able to do it. Uh, but it still does what, it, what I intended it to do in the film, which is, there's a painter on the beach that, that, uh, that Brian's character uh, talks to a couple of times and sort of befriends, and, and, and the, painter, the painter gives him a painting. And what this is really about is there's a man who's been on the beach uh, for 40 years painting, and he doesn't sell the paintings, he just paints. He does the work day after day after day after day. And he gives Brian one painting in the end, and a little, a little piece of that. And to me, that you know, for 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 any artist, that is that is what it's about. It's about doing it on a daily, 
daily daily basis and 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 not worrying about what other people are going to think or what's going to happen or what the reviewers say it's about doing it and that's the it's, you know again it's i the everything in this film i i wanted to keep it fairly subtle and and um and that's really um, that's what that's about also doing it preferably on a beach uh, if possible, rather than in a coffee shop surrounded by a lot of pretentious literary people. Hi. Um, I grew up with you, like One Tree Hill, Glory Road, all that. Um, in those shows, you were always, not trying to prove yourself, but you came back in Glory Road to try to prove yourself that you changed and you were still a writer, kind of doing all this. And in this movie, you kind of gave up. Was it that the character was driven by his family because he was always trying to prove himself and he failed? Or was it that you just never really wanted to push yourself because you're constantly, like in that scene where you're trying to describe it, the story you're writing, but you don't believe it yourself? So is it because you think that your parents don't care or you just don't care yourself? Well, I, I do tend to play a lot of artists. I don't, I don't know why that is, um, but... Uh, yeah, and um, I think it's because a lot of writers write about artists. Um, but in this case, I think Nathan, he is a talented writer, but he's, he's a little misguided in, because he's living in fear, and his girlfriend, Emmanuel, is also a novelist. And I feel like her, she shines so bright and she's so ambitious that she just sucks all the air out of the room and out, out of the relationship. And he almost feels like he doesn't want to write because that's her thing. So he sort of takes a backseat to her and his whole life. So he's just writing things that he doesn't really care about. And this story is about him getting centered and finding what inspires him. And he will, he will write the, the next great American novel. This is just the turn, you know, this is, he's not doing it at the moment because he's living in fear. Hi, how are you guys? Um, first, gosh, Brian, I love you. <laughs> love you too. Um, um, my question is, um, when was the hardest time when you were acting your character, Nathan? You know, this, is a, this was a, a, a challenging film only because, you know, independent films, we had no time to rehearse. I mean, literally, like, I didn't meet Linda until, what, a day before we started shooting? And you see the film, I, the chemistry between us and the whole family is so great. And, and that's a testament to Michael and him letting us inhabit these characters and in these moments and not always you know, sticking to the script and just letting us create moments as well, but under his guidance. Um, and so I think the challenge for this was just the schedule, it was very grueling. But then I would look to my left and her, <laughs> Linda's energy was so boundless and inspiring. Like on days that I was on my third cup of coffee before lunch and I would look over at Linda and she's bouncing around telling jokes. I'm like, man, she's got, she can do it. I can do this. You know what I mean? She <laughs> inspired me. So um, it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was hard work, but it was a lot of fun. I was lucky I got to live at home. We made the movie in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I'd been living for 17 years. So I got to bring my little dog to the set 
and uh, just go down the road a little bit to shoot the movie. Our first scene was in the biggest supermarket I've ever been in my life. It had just opened uh, in Wilmington, and it was this mammoth supermarket, and we didn't, we barely knew each other. And that's the fun of acting, is pretending that you are mother and son in a supermarket picking up groceries and, yell, and yelling at each other. And, and, and that's how great the script was, and that's how easy Michael was, and that's how much fun we had right from the get-go. And as Brian says, the challenge is you don't have a long time to get to know each other. So that's what the craft that we try to develop is as as actors, you know, jump in and pretend that you do. I want to say something about that beach scene and what it means to me and why I wanted to do this movie. I was four pages into this movie and I turned to my husband and I said, I have to do this movie. Uh, it, it, it spoke to me uh, in terms of the way people speak to each other. The, the intimacy was in the writing. The, 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 the relationships were in the writing. And that beach scene to me, when I read it, I thought, it's the Jewish Siddhartha. Yes. You know? It is. It, it, you know, it just <laughs> felt like that. Finally, we understand that there, when you get to the top of the mountain, when you finally toil and struggle for the answers, there are no answers except waking up in the morning, making the bed, and doing your life a step at a time. And that clarity he gets on the beach from that man, and then you know he's going to be all right, and you know she's going to be all right. They're going to be all right a day at a time, and that's the best we can any of us do. And that's the hope that you've written and directed and created in this movie for all of us. Yeah, and can I just mention, too, um, you know, on the, on the subject of the book. I didn't read the book uh, uh, that, that, that you were inspired to write this on. But the, the theme of decay, you know, it, it, it feels like this, it's the decay of all those things. It's a decay of your idea of who you want to be and who you should be, what kind of work you should be doing, the kind of person you should be dating, the kind of son you should be. And it's just the decay of all those ideas in, in that beach scene it's Nathan learning to just accept the moment, accept his family for who they are, accept him for who he is. And, you know, it's the beginning of that change. So it's, it's the decay of those expectations, I think. This is why so many of us Jews turn to Zen Buddhism it's true. at a certain point. When, <laughs> when we sense. don't meet our parents' expectations from fame and fortune, we, we become great Buddhists. <laughs> That seems like a fantastic <laughs> note on which on which to end this. I uh, I just want to say, Brian, I, I suspect that a lot of writers, I suspect you you play a lot of writers because many writers wish they looked like you and could pick up beautiful women, uh, and that's so, so. You're sort of this fantasy figure, um, Linda. I I grew up with you obviously before I went to the theater, uh, seeing you in a in a great sitcom, and it's been every time I see you on screen, or on stage. I just can't believe how subtle the effects, how powerful, but how subtle the effects. You, I mean, it's weird when you when you bond with someone via a sitcom to sort of get that away from, get that out of your head, and and you amaze me every time. And Michael, I just wish you the greatest good luck with this movie. It's wonderful. Thank you, and you so all have much, to David. Thanks Thank a lot. you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>